upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he bent me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If it's Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose. And he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name and happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. two-man power trip of wrestling i am your host jp at john pause and with me today is a very special guest a former ecw world tag team champion former roh world tag team champion of course former ecw wb and wcw superstar he is tony mamaluke tony welcome to the two-man power trip how you doing hey john thanks a lot it's, uh, it's great to be here now you got a big show coming up, twelve eighteen Philadelphia, PA, at the old ECW Arena for Icons Wrestling Collector Fest. What's been going on, and how do you feel about going back to Philly? Well, uh, I'll start with answering that in the reverse order. Going back to Philly is always fun. I actually, was down in Philly earlier this year, uh, not related to wrestling, but I went to a, a Philadelphia Eagles game, which was a lot of fun. So Philly's always a great town. Uh, for sports and for uh, food. Oh, <laughs> Sometimes yeah. if you can do both, it's great. Uh, so, yeah, I love Philly. Uh, it be a lot of fun to see some, probably some old friends and some, uh, hopefully, some new ones. As far as what's been going on, uh, just uh, working my regular real-life job for a number of years at this point. It's very rewarding what I do and uh, hasn't really lent itself to a lot of wrestling uh, uh, time and so on, after, especially after I... Uh, hurt my back a couple years ago, so just doing my thing. And uh, uh, the reason I'm really going to Philly is to hang out with my my FBI brethren. So that's really why I'm going down there. <laughs> yeah, good point. You got the FBI reunion, Big Sal, Little Guido. The FBI reunion will be happening on twelve eighteen at the ECW Arena, which is great. Yeah, and uh, and thanks to David Hughes, who's, who's been uh, instrumental in setting all that up. Um, uh, he's been trying to put us together as a as a, a three man band, if you will, one more time. Uh, it's always a little bit difficult because we live in three different areas of the Northeast, but uh, 
be good to if we're going to do it Philadelphia is the perfect spot absolutely and if you want any extra tickets or early tickets go to David Hughes on Facebook or contact him at dchsports26 at yahoo.com and that's for some ticket information for the FBI so this is pretty cool when was the last time all you guys have been back together um, it was actually the first time I met David, which was uh, a few months back at another signing uh, in, in Pennsylvania, different, obviously not Philadelphia, but uh, it was, he, I think, I believe he brought in um, Sal, and then we were brought in by another vendor, and we just happened to be sitting right next to each other, of course, and uh, it just, you know, that chemistry never really dies. It's the same as it's always been. It's like we were like like every time I see Sal, it's like uh, or Guido, it's like uh, we just pick up right where we left off the last time we saw each other. So you know that just it's an attractive package for the fans in terms of like you know signings and so on because you know it is reminiscent of a kind of a bygone era, of course, and and uh, it's always fun to you know Sal's always a, a trickster and a prankster, so I think he got on the the intercom. <laughs> can't remember who he said it was oh it might have been james j dillon was my father or something crazy like that i mean james j dillon which by the way was directly across the uh the uh, arena floor on the other end of the ring room and uh and i had said to sal incidentally i said sal you see that man right there that's james j dillon he he actually fired me one time <laughs> so, you know so Salvi and Sally got on the the, uh, the 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 MC's mic and made some crazy announcement like that. So uh, yeah, it's always fun. I love that. No, the little prankster. I love that. Well, big prankster actually. Yeah, he's a big prankster. Big prankster. Which is why I always loved hanging out with him because he was always going to do some. And he's a great. By the way, Sal's an amazing artist. By the way, no, I don't think too many people know that, but he's actually really amazing. Like Bret Hart level uh, skill set there. So. I had no you know, idea. Yeah, I had great. no idea. Oh no, yeah, well yeah, it's it's great. He used to draw pictures. At one time, he drew a picture of me and Guido and everybody, and uh, he had stars around my head because I had a history of concussions. So that was... Oh damn! <laughs> I'm one one of these like arena uh, deals there. So he left that for the the team to clean up after we were gone. Now, as far as you mentioned, kind of WCW and, you know, obviously getting fired from J.J. Dillon, but how did you actually get into WCW to begin with? Um, Like everything in my wrestling life, it was by accident and probably shouldn't have happened. Um, It's a convoluted story. I'll just try to get to the the bullet points of it. So at that particular time, um, Eric Bischoff was trying to – create a show that was separate from his regular wrestling, uh, you know, uh, presentations. And it was going to be something in the effect of wrestling meets the Power Rangers. So uh, he had tasked um, Chris Canyon, the late Chris Canyon, uh, with with finding kind of like smaller uh, cruiserweight wrestlers that no one's ever seen before. And, and so over the course of that uh, you know, canvassing, he discovered AJ Styles and, and Jimmy Yang and some of, and, and, uh, and Jamie Noble and, and, and I happened to have, uh, been 
in the wrestling circuit of, the, of, of Florida at the time, uh, independent circuit, and you know all these guys were sending their videotapes, and my roommate who uh, was you know told to send a videotape sent a videotape, and we had wrestled each other a number of times, and I was on the tape, and Chris Canyon saw the tape and called up. Uh, my roommate Jeremy and said, "Hey, let me get some contact information about one of the guys on your tape. Would happen to be me." And then at that point, we all got a tryout match. Uh, me being Jeremy and a guy named Jet Jaguar and the guy that would later become Jamie Noble, and we all had a tryout match in uh, I think it was Jacksonville, Florida, at the Memorial Arena. I should probably remember this. <laughs> it's been a long time. And uh, they all they hired all four of us on that on that particular day, and so that's how it happened. Incidentally, that was the same time, same day that uh, Miss Madness, later to become Molly Holly, was was hired and became the star that she became. Pretty cool that Canyon was, yeah, it was kind a of star-studded event. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool that Canyon was behind it of all people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Canyon was a big part of my early career as far as just opportunity and and he was just a, a really good friend to me and, uh, and to all of us really it, it should be said uh, he was really good to all the people that he helped out he was always trying to be a good friend uh, even when you know he was busy with his own career and all the activities that were going on with it etc with the WCW closing etc and WWF at the time requiring it. You know, he was always trying to help people. He was a good guy. Did you see the Dark Side of the Ring on Kenya? The documentary. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, I, I did. I I I uh I saw it on YouTube because I don't have that channel, but I did watch it. Um, and I was there for all of that. Uh, you know, uh, the good and the bad over the course of the, the you know. The, of the of the time that I knew him, so you know the, those things. I was aware of some of those um, things that you saw in the video. But I, I will say this. Excuse me, I'm trying to watch MLS tonight because <laughs> that's the cool thing to do. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, uh, I don't, you know, and I wouldn't have done this, but I will say this. I know a bit more about that situation that I've never discussed publicly, nor will I, in terms of, uh, you know, Canyon and, and, and the way that he, he left us, that uh, is just left better unsaid and not talked about. I thought they, you know, it was pretty clear where he was uh, in his life. And, uh, and, and uh, it, I think it's misunderstood. It's misunderstood the real uh, tragedy of it all. Um, but uh, I think it probably did a good, it did shine a light on how, you know, as you saw in, the, in that particular documentary, how he was a very helpful person uh, in spite of all the demons that he, that he was battling. Uh, you know, he's just a good person. Now, so what happened with this wrestling meets Power Rangers thing? Because obviously he never, Never take Oh, off. I'm sorry. I didn't. Well, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't finish that story, did I? Well, that's what you get for having more concussions than <laughs> I can really remember. <laughs> um, 
my apologies to the listeners and to you. Uh, well, basically, the show got scrapped. Uh, uh, Eric Bischoff, shortly after we were hired, six months later or so, he was terminated. And and so the show never got any farther than the, than, than the hiring of certain talent. And frankly, you know, I wouldn't have even had the opportunity if AJ Styles had not turned down his opportunity because he didn't want the job. At the particular time, he thought he could do better uh, outside of the monies that they were paying talent to be in the power plant, which, you know, wasn't a whole lot. And he was, uh, you know, it wasn't good for his situation. So <laughs> in, in the uh, it allowed for more people to be looked at and more people to be, you know, given a chance to try out and, you know, and the rest is sort of a um, sort of history, I guess. So thank you, AJ, even though he broke my nose one time. <laughs> so when do they give you the Tony Marinara gimmick? Obviously you're going to be paired with the Mama Luke, but when do they give you that gimmick or what, what's the thought process behind that? Um, well, it all, it's all related to uh, Vito LaGrasso and his friendship with, uh, with Vince Russo, and at that particular time, they were really firing a lot of the talent, especially in the power plant. It was kind of a, it wasn't kind of, it was a very dark period of time. Uh, every day you'd go in there and there would be somebody or more than somebody walking out with their bag not to return, you know, because the company was in transition and, and on its last stand in many respects. I don't know if many of us knew how dire the situation was in the AOL Time Warner acquisition, et cetera. And so, you know, when you got called into Paul Orndorff's office, who was running the power plant at the time, that was kind of like your signal of that this was it. So I was seeing all my friends get fired. I saw, you know, the same people that I got hired with, they were all getting fired. And then I was all alone, you know. And then one day, Paul Orndorff, I was in the ring with someone training or whatever. He calls me into the office and I said, well, I guess it's my turn. And then it turned on its head when he said, okay, on Monday you're going to be at Nitro. you got to look like you are John Travolta and said, okay, now there you go. They'll contact you with travel information. And I said, and I walked out of there in a, in a almost kind of surreal feeling of like, I thought I was walking in here to get fired and you're telling me I'm going to make my professional wrestling debut. Well, wasn't technically my professional wrestling debut on national television, but it was it was kind of the official start to my career because originally when I got into WCW to circle back around, I was actually being booked for something entirely different at the time by Dusty Rhodes, and uh, that was completely separate from everything else. So the reason it's all compartmentalized and all over the place is because that's how WCW was. You know, I went there, Eric Bischoff was in charge, he got fired, then Kevin Sullivan was in charge, and he got fired, then Kevin Nash was in charge, and he got, he stopped being a booker, and then Jim uh, Jim Russo. Then Vince Russo came in, and it changed the entire complexion of the company, and then, then, and then, then, uh, you know, all of this happened at the same time that I was a rookie in this business for all intents and purposes, and certainly on this level. And so it was, it's all over the place. It's a, my WCW experience can be, it's nothing short of someone who was introduced to methamphetamine as far as how, <laughs> it was just really crazy. And it's funny, it's like, 
you're part of the the Mamelukes with Vito and Johnny the Bull. You're kind of playing like a, you know, obviously a, a mobster, or so you would think. Somebody maybe related to the mafia. Chuck Zito makes a brief appearance. Disco Inferno owes you owes you guys money. It's just it was kind of you know it's silly in in essence some some of the stuff they were putting together right there. Well, I first cannot confirm nor deny any affiliation with any of this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> said criminal enterprise. <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I don't know if Vince Russo really ever understood the wrestling business or how to how it actually works. I think he probably felt like he was a TV writer, not a wrestling writer, so he just wrote television. The funny thing about Chuck, Chuck Zito, which when you said was silly is, you know, obviously Chuck Zito has affiliations with people who have questionable character, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And the only reason, and he was great in the role of being someone's <laughs> uh, Italian father with you know, some <laughs> ties to alleged criminal activity. It was so good that it was actually too good. That's why it only lasted one week because everybody started thinking, wait, Who's this Chuck Zito, and who does he know, and what has he been a part of? Uh, we won't bring him back, but right. he was great. It was fun to work with. I wish it could have lasted a lot more. It would have been a lot more interesting television, because he's obviously a professional actor. He's been on uh, you know, several major projects over his course of his career. Uh, he's a legitimate, real talent, obviously. So he would have definitely lent a lot of credibility to me. But... Uh, he was actually too good in the role. <laughs> now, did you think it was going to go further, though, as far as like that character and that gimmick and that angle, or you knew it only had a short shelf life? Um, I was 22 years old. I didn't know anything about wrestling. I was I went from having a car with flat tires and couldn't get it. It was 86 Ford tempo to being on nitro every week. So I, I didn't know why I was in this locker room with all these real legitimate talents. I was some small little kid from upstate New York that found his way to Florida and is now on national television for no real legitimate reason. I didn't have any vision about anything other than the, the, the day that I was actually dealing with. What do you want me to do? I'll try my best to do it. There wasn't a whole lot of direction. I wasn't really coached up. Um, I wasn't there long enough to learn anything uh, other than WCW was a complete and utter mess. And getting fired from there was probably the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. And I know that sounds cynical. And I don't mean to disparage WCW, but it was... It was, I mean, if you ask anyone who was in the locker room at at pretty much any time during WCW's history, but especially during that period of time, I'm sure that my sentiments would be lesser than theirs, uh, you know, because, for example, I, I remember one time a good friend of mine, Mikey Whipwreck, gets flown in across country the night before they bought the ticket, maybe the day of. They brought him all the way to TV to not do anything. So they spent all that money on a, a ticket that they actually had to, you know, obviously bought it at its premium rate, flew him across country, and didn't have anything for him to do. And that was the situation to have all the time. It happened all the time. Now, granted, I'm grateful for the opportunity, and I always will, you know, appreciate the, the, the chance that I was given, but 
it wasn't it wasn't conducive to the type of environment that would have fostered any kind of learning on my respect. I was only in the wrestling business for about 18 months. I probably had less than 35, 40 matches, you know, because you're trying to do weekend. Well, maybe more than that. I probably had closer to 60 or 70 matches. I was just learning the job. I had no intentions of ever going on national television. It was never anything in my purview or anything. I was 120 pounds when I started. So I was just, I was having fun. Just dumb kid from upstate, way out of his depth on national TV. So yeah, it was, it was wild times. Wow, that's crazy that, uh, yeah, just like like that whole world. Yeah. I, I tell everybody that I, I forced Gump my way through wrestling, and that's exactly what I did. <laughs> when you do get fired from WWE, was there a reason behind it? Like, what did they say? Well, I got fired because I had a, a several major concussions in a very short period of time because of the power plant, and then they they didn't like that. And they were going through budget cuts in early February, right after the turn of the century there at two, in 2000. And they, uh, James J. Dillon called me up. Uh, I think it was like February. That's about right. Said, we can no longer uh, keep you gainfully employed um, because of your head injury uh, status. Once, and the thing about them is what they would do is if you were injured, they would cut your pay in half. And then when you were released from the doctor, then you'd get your pay back to its normal rate. And so once the doctor cleared me, their neurologist, uh, they they cut ties with me. They weren't going to fire me while I was injured, but they had to wait for me to get cleared. And I was unceremoniously released from my contract in the earliest parts of 2000. Now you said you were happy, right, to get fired. You said it was the best thing that happened to you. Why, like, why do you think that? Well, it, it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me. It wasn't that great that day. My favorite part of that conversation is when he told me, when Mr. Dillon told me that I was fired. He also wished me to have a good night. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> or actually, I'm sorry, good weekend. Yeah, okay, thanks, pal. Um, because that was when the opportunity for ECW eventually opened up and. The only real reason you're talking to me now is because of all that. So how'd you get in the door at ECW? Who, who like, discovered you? Did Heyman see you? Did Dreamer? Did somebody find you? Uh, I was, I became, I became sort of friendly with, with, uh, with Mikey. Uh, and I only say sort of because I didn't see him very often, but whenever we did see each other, obviously he was somebody that I looked up to. He was a, person that you know was in my kind of range of reasonable kind of comparative i guess so i I gravitated toward mikey i liked him as a when i was a fan of wrestling i still am but uh, just before i got into the business you know i was like i like this mikey whipwreck guy i can relate to him um and then i was friends with canyon who knew uh sinister minister and sinister minister was coming up on his way through to wherever, you know, if he was in a local, if he was going to up to ECW, but he was driving, then he'd stop by. Or if you just visit every once in a while, because he lived in Orlando at the time, he still does, I guess. Um, so I knew Vandy or minister. I still call him Vandy. 
and I and I knew Mikey and uh and Vandy and Mikey knew each other obviously. Uh and so it just kinda worked out from there. So I went to meet everybody at this bar in Atlanta before I was going to work at another bar in Atlanta because I was a bouncer at the time. And uh, they said, well, why don't you come to South Carolina the next day and, and bring Jeremy, who was the same guy that put the videotape together. You guys come over there. You have a tryout match in front of Mikey, uh, in front of Mikey, in front of Tommy Dreamer, and then uh, we'll see if we can get you to see what happens. And normally those things end up being like someone will come. We used to have these tryouts in ECW where people would come when it, you know at the, at the to the town. And it never really worked out to much anything. A couple of once in a while, I think um, uh, a few people I got hired from from one of those even after I did. But I, I my memory is not all that great. But basically, it wasn't really much of a high probability but me and jeremy had a pretty decent match and that we knew each other and uh they said well uh thanks for having the match but tommy isn't here can you have it again <laughs> and so he had it again and, and uh said okay great so stick around to the show and this is the first time i really met guido he's like hey you guys go ahead and change into your gear you're gonna be on the show so we changed into our gears and and waited to be put on you know on wherever we were going to be on the card and he misunderstood that, but we hung around anyway, of course. And then the next week, me and Jeremy went to uh, New Orleans, if I remember, and we went to Pensacola and had a match, trying uh, to trial match. We didn't get on that show, but then we went to Toledo, and finally, uh, that's when Tony Mamaluke was born. So they said, okay, you're going to be we're going out there with Guido, because Guido is instrumental in the whole reason that I became part of his his group because he said to Tommy, I want to, I want to tag with that guy. And so when the opportunity presented itself, I, I wrestled Mikey in Toledo and that's when I had my infamous crash and burn into the guardrail, which is the only thing I've ever been remembered for. And then, uh, that's when I debuted with the FBI and then the rest kind of played out over time. Where did that name come from? Just because you were in the Mamelukes and WCW, so they're like, yeah, we'll make you Tony Mamaluke? Essentially, yes. Uh, in fact, it's funny you mention that because they said, Guido said, well, what are we going to call him? And this is the worst Guido impression ever, by the way. <laughs> what are we going to call him? And Tommy just looked at me, Tommy Dreamer, that is, pronouns, pal. <laughs> he looked at me and said, Tony Mamaluke. So they took Tony Marinara and Mama Luke. It was kind of an inside jab at uh, WCW and uh, kind of a little wink and a nod to uh, uh, Vito and, and Johnny DeBull over there. Uh, and and that's how it just happened. It just happened because they needed to call me something, and that's it. <laughs> that is funny, though, if you think about it. It's like, oh, yeah, what the hell are we going to call this guy? Oh, yeah, we got to give him a name. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even think about that. I was like, I'm gonna go wrestle. Mind you, I hadn't had a I hadn't had a match in front of fans for the better part of about a year because when in WCW I was a manager, and then I had a gap in between when I got injured there, and then had my tryout match. So that was like the first time I'd wrestled in nine months to a year. So I wasn't really, my head was all over the place. I didn't know, you know, I was just going to go out there and have fun. 
because I was too dumb to realize how big of an opportunity this was. Right. Huge. Yeah. You know, ECW, obviously, the third yeah. promotion there. They're on TV. You know, you're going to be on TNN. So, I mean, it's a pretty big-time step up. Yeah. Yeah, well, certainly better than where I was, you know, the day before, <laughs> which was not anything close to that. So, you know, the rest is all kind of history after that, you know, with the opportunities that came from that match. The funny part about it, I will I will speak of, about the 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 terrible dive I took head first on the guardrail. That's actually the real reason I got hired because when Paul Heyman saw the video, he said, "Well, well we can't. We just hire the guy otherwise he's going to sue us." <laughs> <laughs> Smart. So I, I literally, again, by complete accident and by no fault of anyone but myself, got myself a job because they were afraid I was going to sue their company for a mistake that I made. So there you go. And now it lives forever in infamy on YouTube. <laughs> what did you think of Paul? I thought he was awesome. He was super fun to work for. I wish I had more opportunity to do it. I wish he had the ability to have a budget that could have risen to the level of his talent. I still think he's the most entertaining person in wrestling right now, uh, certainly on the mic, at least. Um, you know, I don't watch a ton of wrestling, but if Paul Heyman's going to be on, I want to watch that. I think he's a brilliant uh, person in terms of his ability to tell stories uh, without having to be in the ring wrestling. He's outstanding. I mean, he, could he have been a little bit better at, at managing the monies? I think he did probably the best he could and made it last as long as he possibly could. Um, if ECW was still open and, and thriving like uh, it could have been if circumstances would have allowed it. I'd still be there to this day. I would have never left. It was the most fun I ever had in my life, and I wish it. I wish all the time it never ended. And that's usually why. I mean, going back to this signing that David put together. I mean, that's why. That's really why I'm going to these things, or, or ever go to these things. It's. It's not that to. It's just to see some old friends that remind me of a, a period of time that was very fun for me, and and will never ever be forgotten. It's funny. I was talking to somebody earlier today, you know, former wrestler too, and he was saying, like, "I don't really like conventions." He goes, "But I do like seeing my friend." So it's like he. It's funny, like, that's what the wrestlers are thinking. Not so much to meet the friends, but maybe to reconnect with some of their old friends. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, it's nice to make a little bit of money to cover the expenses, and, mm -hmm. you know, but <laughs> it's really just to say hello to a few people I've not seen. And, and there's no real other reason or, or circumstance where I might see them because we don't live close to each other. So it's not realistic to really go visit, but, you know, it's cool. The only problem is I really wish I could wrestle. I miss the ring, and I can't do it anymore. And it is, it's hard for me to be near a ring because I want to get in there. I want to wrestle. I want to experiment. I want to continue to learn. I want to be better. I want to be 
I want to be a savant for wrestling, and I know I can't do it, and it's it just it's really a bummer to be very honest with you. I miss I miss it all of the time, but I cannot I can no longer just I can't do it. It's just not savvy for me to get in the ring and ever bump again, so I can't. Is it the back injury, all the concussions, or kind of all the above? Both of those, it definitely, definitely the back and the concussions I've seen. And it, you know, I I didn't really understand concussions. I don't think most people did who weren't doctors. Obviously, there's been more research thanks to Nowinski and and the efforts and and strides he's made and and put you know a spotlight on it. CTE, the NFL has obviously changed a lot of things in their league. It wasn't something that we really thought much about in wrestling, other than, you know, the obvious, you know, the immediate, not the long term, not the, not the corrosive nature of of constant head injuries. I can tell you, I can tell you honestly that it has affected my long term memory, as you may have already noticed during the course of this conversation, because details are a little bit spotty. You know, and I'm like, you know, I'm not at an age where that should be a thing. But I had sustained a bit more concussions than your average uh, wrestler because, well, you know, it's a smaller guy. You're going to take more impact. There's more whiplash. It's going to happen, you know. Um, And then the back is just done in, you know, because of the same reason. So I will say this. If I would have got out of wrestling several years before I should before I did I would be better off today but eventually all of these things would have come to to a head just later in life which would have been better but it still would have happened I mean you know people so, you know, this idea that wrestling is quote fake or all of that you know I'm not going to get into the minutiae about kayfabe at this point the cat's out of the bag I mean if if you don't know by now then then, you know, good for you, uh, but eventually, if you don't get smartened up <laughs> by what's happening in the ring in front of you, you'll find out on the internet, but uh, it does have a lot of long-term effects on the body, and that's just the nature of it. There's not a single wrestler in the business that doesn't have a bad back on some level, just because of what you do, and then you know, everybody gets concussions. I don't care who you are. The best, the worst, everyone in between. These are real things, and because there's the amount of work that major companies put together, like WWE scheduling, those things, they add up. And even if you're not, if you're just an indie guy that doesn't really understand how to protect yourself and because you're trying your best, because how many opportunities do you get to shine, you're going to put yourself at a higher probability of being injured because the, the business of wrestling is more dangerous now than even I when I started. It's I couldn't even imagine trying to be in it now. These moves are just absurd, really. When you look back at ECW and you know more like the high points, you guys win in the tag titles, you guys beat the Unholy Alliance, um, Tajiri and Whipwreck. Do you like look at back at that and think like fond memories, or the titles don't really mean anything? It's just more the ECW experience that you were, you know, so loving. Well, sure. I mean, obviously the title was fun and it was cool. I mean, it certainly didn't affect my 
you know, I didn't think, well, now I'm a world champion. I mean, what it did afford me the opportunity to do is have more matches with really good talent, and and it allowed me to have more fun. So, um, it's unfortunate that it didn't last as long and any longer than it did because there were so many more good matches I could have had and gotten better at this and learned more from the mistakes that I made. And I go back and you know, the other day I just happened to run into a, a match that I saw uh, in ECW with Doring and, and Roadkill, and I thought there's so many more things I would be smart enough to do now to make that so much more better, more that's bad English, so much better hmm. and be more of a real professional wrestler than what I saw on tape. Like, it just frustrates me because I don't have the opportunity to do that. So the best part of ECW was the whole part. There wasn't anything that I didn't like. It was always fun. There was never a time where I thought I would rather be anywhere else. And it was heartbreaking when it ended. Did you have any idea that it was going to end? Like, did you see the writing on the wall, or did it kind of surprise you? I mean, obviously there were signs. I mean, people weren't getting paid. Uh, Paul Heyman was going on these quote-unquote long interviews with television networks while he was in Hollywood. And there's plenty of uh, information on that story that will make anybody laugh who's willing to go and search that out, but... There was obvious signs. I mean, I was 22, 23 years old. I was 23, actually. 23 years old, but I wasn't completely naive, you know. And uh, I didn't think it was going to end until we had a pretty decent idea on the last pay-per-view that things were not going to go well. In fact, I think I think Sandman kind of said it. I think, you know, this is the end because we had they had to do a lot of finagling just to get Rob to show up and it was you know how many you know and then we had some spot some bought shows in, in Arkansas and it it was it was obvious in the last pay-per-view that it wasn't going to last much longer if it was going to last much longer at all and so when we had our last two shows it was that was it it was the end of an era Big time. Did any of your checks bounce? No, I wasn't making enough money to have any checks bounce. <laughs> gotcha. When that happens, you know, obviously you guys are in Arkansas. Do you know that's the last show, like before the show, or you really don't know or you just had a feeling? Oh, yeah, we knew. I mean, in fact, it's funny. I was waiting in the airport for Guido, and he goes, you know, this is it. It's over. It's over. And that was it. Did Paul, was I know it. Paul wasn't at that show, right? Dreamer, I guess, ran the show? Yeah, it was a bought show. So if you're not familiar with that term, or your, rather your audience isn't familiar with that term, that means that, you know, regardless of what, you know, regardless of what the building makes, how many tickets they sold, they have bought the show. So everything is paid for. The money is guaranteed. Uh, you're not basing any of your your financials on the house that's that you drew or anything else you know as far as like you know souvenirs and so on that that's probably a separate conversation entirely uh but we were going to get paid the show the show was paid for it wasn't anything more than just show up do your job get paid and leave so 
they could have sold one ticket, 10,000 tickets, we were going to get the same money. So that was rare uh, for ECW. I don't know if they did a whole lot of those, but it was uh, it was it was over at that point, and we all knew it. So the very last night, I made sure that we put over uh, the guys that were putting us over all every night. Uh, Joey Mercury uh, and his partner, whose name escapes me, and I'm sorry because he's a friend of mine. And this is what happens. Christian you... York. Thank you, sir. My my love to Christian York. I apologize. I hope he doesn't hear this and think I don't remember him. Of course I do. Uh, but Christian York, they were and and Joey were putting us over every night, every single night. And I said, finally, can we please, please put these guys over? And so the you know, actually the first night, the second night was me and Guido against Tommy and Mikey, I believe, and that was the last match that we had. So the last ECW match that Tommy Dreamer ever had was against me. The yeah. last ECW televised show, last televised match, was me pinning Tajiri, which was ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But of all the people, that's the last, you know, like hardcore show ever produced was me pinning Tajiri, which is absurd and, and not right. <laughs> Actually, I'm offended by that. <laughs> so, hey, I love it, though. Yeah. I know how to kill a territory. <laughs> <laughs> You killed the promotion. I did. At WCW, I would have taken them down just as quickly. They just got rid of me sooner. <laughs> they were on to you. Yeah, they had to get you four. What did you think about Paul not being at the final shows? It wasn't, it wasn't unusual. In fact, he really only came to television. So him not being at a house show or non-televised event uh, was not unusual at all. And, you know... Tommy ran everything anyway. Tommy was running that company more than Paul was in terms of day-to-day -day stuff anyway, so we didn't think twice about it. I mean, he was still under the auspice. He was still under the... Um, he was still trying to present an image that he was trying to find us a TV deal, so it can't be at this house show in Arkansas when you're out in California trying to find a TV deal. So, you know, there you go. Right. After the third rally speech, we were all kind of like, okay, all right, okay, all right. Were you surprised to see him in Rollerball? Um, sure. But then it, all of that made sense at the end. <laughs> right, like, what's he, what's he doing out there? Oh, he's maybe filming a movie. Maybe he's making a movie. Maybe he's in. Maybe he's he's, he's got a bit a part in in an actual feature film. So, and maybe in between, I think that my I think he said we'll get on the Food Network if we have to. Blah 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 blah. And again, it didn't change my opinion of Paul. I I still always you know had a great time as him being uh, a boss. He certainly um, taught me a lot in a little bit of time that I knew him. Tommy Dreamer taught me a lot in a little bit of time that I got to work there. Uh, you know, I, I certainly wish it could have been longer. I would have learned a lot more. I could have been a better, you know, I could have been better. And that's the only disappointment I had. I wanted to become better because I didn't think I was very good, and I still don't. And I really wish I could have gotten better, but I didn't. So, like you said, the end of an era, the end of ECW. What did you think then? Like, hey, you know, I'll I'll 
find another organization. I'm going to try to go WWE, you know, because WCW is over too. So where did you think you were going to go? Uh, I thought I was going to go back to bouncing at clubs, and that's what I did, and tried my wares on the inter- independent scene, and that's what I did. I was, you know, a lot of, you know, at this point, I really don't, you know, I've always had a very grounded view of myself in the wrestling business. I was an independent wrestler that got uh, national television opportunities that probably anybody would have done better with. So I was just going to go back to doing what I did, which was work a job and go on the indies on the weekends. And, you know, I didn't really have a real plan because where was I going to go? I I, I remember calling up a, um, uh, a gentleman in Puerto Rico uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, he, and he saw a picture of me and he said I was too small. And I said, well, all right, <laughs> can I be a manager? He said, we don't need one. I said, okay. So that didn't work out. I didn't have any connections to get in Japan. I really didn't have a whole lot of interest in going to Japan anyway. It would have been, I guess, pretty cool. A lot of people like going there. But um, my style of wrestling wasn't really, I guess it could have worked there. I, I kind of modified it over the years, became less of a quote-unquote high flyer. I called me. I, 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 I always thought of myself as a low crasher and burner, but, you know, whatever. Um, now, I wasn't, I, I really didn't have a whole lot of opportunities to go anywhere because there's nowhere else to go. I mean, the, the, comp, the, the business of wrestling ended the night that, you know, Vince McMahon debuted at the last Nitro. That was the end of the wrestling business. So what you see now is, is a totally different business with a different business model. So I, it's hardly recognizable from when I was in it. So how'd you end up, because you kind of, you know, end up in TNA and Ring of Honor. So was that just, you know, they're calling you or Jeff Jarrett or somebody says, hey, we're starting up the X Division. We want you. And ROH, Gabe probably is saying, hey, you versus Guido, ROH. Yeah, I was, I mean, Gabe was in ECW, so I knew him there. And uh, and then, you know, Bill Barons was, uh, you know, instrumental in the early days of, of uh, TNA, who, who I was working for when I was living in Georgia, which is where I lived during my entire uh, ECW tenure uh, because of WCW. I moved there uh, in the Atlanta area, and so I knew Bill from his independent scene or his independent shows. So that worked out because of that. Um, I didn't really know Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett before that. I don't think I, I might have known him a little bit. I don't think we matched up too much in our time together in WCW, and he certainly was. I was out the door in January, February of 2000. So, yeah, I did, it was Bill Barons and, and Gabe knew me before that, and that's how I got into those two organizations and their beginnings. You know, I think I got into, I was on the fourth pay-per-view of TNA when they were doing like the $10 shows, and then I, it was one of the earlier shows of Ring of Honor that I got in, and I worked uh, uh, Jay Briscoe. Uh, in my first Ring of Honor match, and so that's that's kind of how that happened. At least my first time in Ring of Honor. 
when you're doing that, do you expect not contracts, so to speak, but do you expect to be there long term? Like TNA, you think you're going to be there because they're starting to really build up the X division at that point? No, um, I didn't because I was talking to uh, who was the gentleman that used to work there years when he passed away. Bob Ryder. Uh, yes, thank you. I'm glad you're around. That you're helping me out a lot. <laughs> Mr. Ryder and I were discussing my work style uh, after one of their uh, one of the shows, and he said that you know you you're selling and you're working matches in a. Essentially, he was saying that because I wrestled like a professional, that it wasn't the type of style that they wanted for the X division. So selling and telling a story wasn't exactly what they wanted. They wanted crash and burn and high flying and, and well, what it became. And you know, I really wasn't what I was. I really wasn't doing that to that level, and nor did I have the athleticism to be you know, an amazing red or, or low key or any of those guys. I, I was, a, you know, just trying to wrestle and it, it, it was not, it wasn't a good fit because of that. I mean, at least that's how they felt. So I was like, okay, cool. No problem. For them, I, you know, it's, I guess, you know, it's not going to work out, but ring of honor, I know you and Guido do team once, but then you guys have a little mini feud kind of over the rights of the FBI gimmick. Was it supposed to be long, like almost longer term for uh, Ring no. of Honor? No, because Guido had just got hired from WWE or WWF, whatever it was at the time. So he, he had a job and he was just trying to give me the rub on the way out. So it was just to do that and try to establish me as an independent talent uh from the fbi gimmick but i was a tag team guy so it never really took off i was always better in tag teams it's just what i did better so the purist i guess was like the, the next kind of tag team you and john walters but that doesn't last long either yeah um yeah it didn't work out in terms of long term um ring of honor didn't really have the ability to bring me in from atlanta um, and so it was hard for me to get to those shows. They didn't have the budget at the time. So it didn't work out either. And that's okay. I wish it would have. I like John Walters. I thought he's a great talent. It would have been more fun to tag with him often. We tried it again later, but it never worked out. He's a good talent, though. He was. I don't know if he, I don't think he still works. I don't think so, actually. I don't. I thought I saw him like do one show recently, but I don't think he's like a, still doing a full-time independent scene or anything like that. With ROH, you end up coming back in 05, and immediately you and Sal Renaro win the tag team titles. Pretty shocking, too. Yeah, and it didn't. And again, that was not exactly a good idea from a booking perspective because we weren't established, so the fans were immediately rejecting us. We did, we would have been better off and better served if we would have built ourselves up, you know, from the bottom. More time. We that was the first couple of times we ever tagged together. We didn't have any kind of chemistry yet, so it wasn't a good idea. I wish we hadn't done that. I would have been better. It would have been better for everybody if we didn't get those belts. Yeah, that makes sense. Psychology-wise, that does make sense. Like, because I remember going to all those shows. Like, wow, Mama Luke Ranero—they're they're a team. Oh, they they won the tag titles already. Oh my god. Yeah, um, not a good idea. 
appreciate the, the trying from Gabe's perspective. I think he probably would have agreed that it would have been better not to do it so quickly because it, it took away from the belts. Um, it, it took away from the belt. It took away. It took any any chance we had of being successful was was not going to happen. So it was a bad idea. So then you end up in WWE, right? Pretty much, you get signed up by the new ECW brand of WWE. Well, there was a several years gap, but yeah, eventually that did happen in uh, 2006. And well, yeah, I guess it was. Yeah, it wasn't that far. I guess between those two runs, but yeah, I got a short run in WWE with the new ECW. Uh, we all saw how that turned out. Um, it was never going to be successful because it was, it, it was kind of like when they tried to do Van Halen with Eddie Vedder or whatever the the second guy that came in, is that Eddie Vedder? I don't remember. Anyway, you can't replace something that people have, you know, it's like dating someone and then trying to find someone that looks and acts like that same person and it just it doesn't have the same gravitas. And it, so it was a bad idea. Um, great opportunity, uh, if it was given a fair opportunity, but it wasn't. Uh, so, uh, so you're not a Sammy Hagar it, fan, I guess. Sammy Hagar, yeah. No, <laughs> I mean I'm not a not a fan, but he 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 wasn't. Uh, David Lee Roth. He wasn't David Lee Roth. Uh, I 1984 jumps, and it's just not the same thing. You know, I guess driving 55 was kind of cool, but yeah, it just didn't. It for me, it didn't work out. So it kind of felt like that. It, it felt like you were. We, it felt like round hole, square peg type of situation. Bad idea. Um, and it, bad execution to a good idea, I should say. And 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 you saw what you saw, and it's kind of a blight on the wrestling business. Certainly that horrible pay-per-view we did December to remember or whatever. Oh. December to dismember, whatever the hell it was. That was horrible. One of the worst pay-per-views of all time. Yeah. It's, yes. Was it good to when team with Guido again? Yeah, it was cool. I mean, it's always been cool to team with Guido. I mean, you know, I guess it sounds like I'm taking for granted. That's always been the best part of any of these things is when I get to work with Guido. But, I mean, I guess to me that's always a given. But anything else around it usually ends up being poor booking or bad timing. You know, like the wrestling business had fallen on hard times in 2000, in the early 2000s. Vince McMahon notwithstanding. But, you know, it, it, we were just scrapping to try to find any reason to survive out there. But... Guido was off running doing his own thing and you know it just uh, it was it was it would have been better served to never have happened but it did and there might be one good thing that can come of it I guess CM Punk would have been that but he would have happened anyway so and you didn't like your match against uh, Burke and Tarkai I guess uh no <laughs> just, no, I was on a job. I was I was jobbed out on a pay per view. <laughs> it's about the worst thing you could ever do. Well, why are you even on there? Because somebody's got to take a beating from this big guy, this big guy, and why not throw Mama Luke in there and get beat to death and pinned and 
Well, we just piss in his mouth then on his way out the door. <laughs> pretty bad. Definitely pretty bad all the way around. They're just, I don't know. I don't know if they were like trying to not make it successful. It's weird to think that, but it was just terrible. Well, it is what it is. When you kind of just look back at that, were you almost happy again to be released? Yes. I was making no money. It was, yes, it was bad. I was glad to be released. How did you get in? Was that Dreamer bringing you in? Yeah, it was Tommy. Like always with everything, Tommy Dreamer brought me in, and that was that was what happened. Yeah, I think that was kind of a failed experiment there from... Uh from WB, but as we hit the wind down, we, we head towards the finish. Throughout the career, what are some of your favorite matches and moments? Like just looking back, because obviously there are some good high points. Uh yeah, mostly in ECW. Uh Mike and Tajiri would be the obvious. Um Roadkill enduring, sneaky great and fun. Especially when we finally really figured it out. Um I liked, uh, on an independent level, I had some fun with Caprice Coleman before he became Caprice Coleman of Ring of Honor. Um, in TNA, I would say, uh, oh, God. Well, we had a ladder match that was kind of fun with AJ and, uh, and, and everybody. That was fun. Um trying to make me remember things it's never a good idea hmm. uh, uh oh i in wwe was fun it was really uh impressive to wrestle the hardy boys um and and see what that looked like uh that was an, it, uh, that was special um yeah i mean ring of honor jay jay briscoe was a ton of fun to wrestle at least the one time I did, I, we could have had a lot more fun if we had an opportunity. He was great even as a young youngster back then. So I, I've had some fun. Now, originally going back, you trained by Dean Malenko, right, in Florida? Yes, uh, and and Jeff Bradley was his his uh, assistant trainer. Uh, the original Dudley, incidentally, uh, he he taught me a ton of stuff too. I got to work out with David Heath and, and even Luna Vachon a little bit. Uh, once in a, I, I, I had a picture one time of me and Eddie Guerrero in a training one time. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, may he rest in peace. So yeah, I got. Uh, but uh, Dean was uh, the the owner of his his once his father had a camp in Florida and trained a lot of major stars back in the day, and I was uh, one of the last graduates. Another territory that I killed. I was the second to last class to graduate, and uh, and so uh, we had a lot of fun in that. That was my most fun in wrestling was training. To be honest with you. And maybe that's why you're not the high flyer, though, right? Training with Malenka, he'll ground you. Well, that and I wasn't very athletic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, throw that in there too. Yeah. Any regrets in the business looking back? Should have got out sooner. Wouldn't have as many injuries as I do now. Um, I wish I would have been more mature in WCW. Um, 
and I wish probably that I wouldn't have taken the WWE matches or the WWE uh, contract, but uh, just from a financial standpoint, um, probably regret doing that. Um, yeah, I would say those are the things that if I had any regrets, uh, that would be, those would be it. Uh, the only real thing that I wish never happened was ECW closing because that would have. That would have taught me a lot of the. That would have been able. That would have been an opportunity for me to actually learn the wrestling business the way I wanted to, and be around the, the people that I felt like I could learn a lot from. And, uh, and instead of trying to figure it out, and then in the dark without the type of guidance that I I needed at that point in my life in the wrestling business, but fortunately it went the way that it did. But. An ECW reunion will be happening 12-18 at the ECW Arena, the FBI, getting back together. Contact, of course, David Hughes on Facebook or email dchsports26 at yahoo.com for more information and for tickets. Are you? you I know you said you're looking forward to this, but uh, you really got to be looking forward to this. This is a, a high point, of sure, and it's going to be a high point for the fans at the FBI getting back together at the arena of all places. There you go, and uh, that's been a long time coming. So yeah, I look forward to that a hundred percent. Be a lot of fun. When was the last time you were at the arena? Uh, for Tommy Dreamer's show that he ran there a few years ago, uh, like in 2015, I think. So I, I wrestled in a six-person tag because Mia Yim, Yim, Yim was there. Did I say her name right, Mia Yim? Oh, Mia Yim, yep. Yeah, sorry, Mia. Hmm. I think she's awesome, by the way. So she was in a six, a six or seven or eight-person match. Eight person match. That was a lot of fun. Coke was there. Um, Earl Hebner was the ref. We had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Now, is there any other place out there as far as, like, plugs or anything where, where you want people to reach you, or are you just much more private nowadays? Oh, yeah, you're not going to find me on the Internet. <laughs> no social media. I don't do social media. I don't do social media. Lucky you. Might be and I tell you why, because I was on Facebook and somebody said one time, that's old, that's that's that old Tony Mamaluke guy, he, he's out of touch, he doesn't understand wrestling. And I'm like, well, all right, I don't need to be in around this negativity. And I subsequently ended any association with any any social media the only reason i had it anyway was to connect with wrestling personnel and some family and i'm just not into all that it's not my thing i'm just a quiet i'm just a i'm an introvert anyway so it's just natural for me to be reclusive so <laughs> social media kind of defeats all of that so that's probably a smart thing it is kind of accessible sometimes out there of negativity for sure I don't need it in my life. It serves no practical purpose. So I, I don't. So to answer your question in short, no, I don't have any plugs. Thanks. <laughs> well, definitely hit up David and go to the Icons Collector Fest, the big convention, twelve eighteen in Philly, PA. The FBI getting back together for a rare appearance. Tony, thank you so much for all the time tonight. Really appreciate right. it. Thank you. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. 
You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website, tmptempire.com. And buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother.